You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded. My name is Jared Book. Uh, we have three people with me today on the podcast. Uh, before we get started, I do want to hope that everybody is safe and all of our, your close ones and anybody listening. I hope everyone's okay. I hope you're all staying inside. And I hope that uh, this gives you a little bit of something to do while you're self-isolating or in quarantine or wherever you are working. Uh, if you're working and you're just listening or commuting or whatever you're doing. I hope that this gives you a little bit of a break. Joining me today, uh, Scott Matla, Andrew Zaranowski, and Nanako Hitotsubashi. We'll start with you, Scott. Scott, how are you doing? Uh, I'm tired, as always. This is the first day I've gotten to get some of my sleep back in about two or three weeks. But otherwise than that, not doing too bad. Uh, Recorded a show earlier today, actually, which was nice. And... uh, now going to talk about all of our favorite things with my favorite eyes on the prize people. So it's been a while. Yeah, it, it has been a while, but yeah, I, I think this gives everybody a little bit more time to to do things uh, for better or for worse, I guess. Uh, Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, in self-isolation with my children. So uh, I don't know, for better or worse, it is what it is. My wife uh, is a pharmacist, so she works hard, long hours every day and... Uh, does her best to avoid any sort of contamination while I guard the fort here. So it is what it is. We are where we are, and uh, we make the most of it and the best of it. Uh, and one of the things we can do for everyone else is to have a, a fun little podcast now. Yeah, absolutely. So many people, uh, you know, people who work in grocery stores and pharmacies are are getting recognized for the work that they would do every day. But in, in times like these, that we, we really see the importance of what they do. Um, obviously healthcare workers, that goes without saying. They do an important job every day, but especially now as well. Uh, Namiko, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, It's been a while since I've been on. I was way too busy, and now suddenly I have I have time again. It's strange. The Canadians re-signed two players to one-year, two-way contracts. And on the surface, it, it might be, especially if you don't follow the Laval Rocket, Maybe a little bit weird to see Alex Belzil and Gustav Olofsson getting contracts, especially if you saw Gustav Olofsson play three NHL games this year. But if you watch Laval Rocket, especially late in the year for Olofsson, it was really a no-brainer to to get those guys locked up, especially Belzil. Belzil is kind of the heart and soul of of the the Rocket. Even if he wasn't playing, he's he's very much a part of that that team and the organization going forward. Belzile was one that we kind of thought might happen, especially after he got injured, because going into this season, everyone was kind of talking the way he played in the preseason. It looked very much like he was going to be an NHL call-up, and had he not had the serious injury, he would have been during this whole injury run through the second half of the season. And then Olofsson is just one of those pieces that has kind of grown into a more reliable piece under Joel Bouchard. He might not be NHL ready yet, and maybe he won't be, but as it stands right now, he's a piece of the Rocket defensive core that they kind of want to have in place next year, and they might have some of these younger guys coming in. They're just going to have Brooke is going to be back again. 
there might be other pieces moving in and out there. Having someone like Olafson who is a little bit older and knows how to work in Bouchard's system and what it takes to be successful is a good option to have as, you know, that mentor role there. And Olsen is also a good example uh, of a player who missed the entire season and came back pretty strong. Uh, he, you know, he missed the last few seasons because of injuries. And this season, he avoided any major injuries and really started ramping up towards the end of it. So, you know, it can also be a tale of, of what to expect from Alex Belzil after he missed most of the season is that he'll come back, you know, and also be a strong uh, player for the Laval Rocket. And both these signatures, let's not kid ourselves, are primarily for the benefit of the Laval Rocket of having that kind of leadership and, and grit and, and experience on their roster as the team gets young with all these new guys coming up. The Laval Rocket are going to be young again next year. And to have a couple of players like Alex Belzil and Gustav Olsen on the roster is certainly not a bad thing. I mean, people might argue that, you know, why give them an NHL contract, one of those 50 contracts against the limit, you know, when they're just AHLers. But, you know, you negotiate on a case-by-case basis. And if, you know, if that's what it took to keep him in the fold, that's what you do, right? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, if Belzil was healthy, he definitely would have gotten a look when, you know, Riley Barber got called up, uh, when Dale Weiss got called up, uh, when when Lucas Vedemo or Jake Evans got called up uh, as well. Belzil definitely would have been in that conversation. And so much has been made about veterans playing for Joel Bouchard. I, I feel like when you get these veterans that that play well under Bouchard, you you keep them because you can only go through so many experience experiments like you know Hunter Shinkarik and Alex Grenier and Riley Barber and Phil Veroni until you just have to, you know, keep guys when, when they do fit in. And, you know, you, you look at the guys that Laval has hired uh, as AHL guns in the past, and the Canadians especially under NHL contracts. And, you, you know, it, it kind of puts guys like Belzil and, and even Charles Houdon in, in different light because those can be your guys that give you your top-level AHL talents and you know what you're getting. You don't have to necessarily go outside the organization anymore when you have these guys who, who are kind of already there and, and you know are, are going to be successful as opposed to, you know, throwing darts at the board and hoping that, you know, a guy fits in or, or someone fits in better than what you had before. I think a big part of it is too, is that once you find, like you said, someone who fits that system, um, Mark Dumont, the athletic has said it a lot in that you don't just need veteran players you need veteran players who buy into things it's one thing to have like that mercenary type player that bounces from team to team and puts up 50 points in the ahl year it's another to have someone who actually goes out there and wants the team he's on who sticks with that team we saw it with uh chris bork in hershey for the longest time he was there because he was that part of that team and alex belzeal and charles houdon and Gustav Olofsson could be those kind of players year to year, you know, one year contract at a time. And they help that team and the prospects there get to the next level. We've seen it with Jake Evans and we've seen it with Jesperi Kotkaniemi down in, when the season was still going on. That having players like Houdon or Belzeal helps so many of these young players have kind of that support system with them. Jake Evans found a lot of success playing with Alex Belzeal and so did Lucas Vedemo before they got injured and at the previous season. There's a lot to be said about familiarity with a player helping these young guys adjust and, you know, hit their next level of development. 
Yeah, and Joel Bouchard also often used the term independent contractors <laughs> quite uh, der- in a derogatory kind of way when talking about uh, the veterans on the team. Uh, and those veterans didn't last the season, uh, talking about the Pekkas and the Barbers and the Veronis specifically, as you know, guys who are just out for themselves and just looking out for themselves. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely not the kind of leadership you want on a team. That's not the kind of veteran presence you want on the team because you want to, A, teach the young guys how to be proper professionals, and you also want to surround them with proper examples of, of players that will give themselves up for the team. Uh, and I think Alex Belzil is definitely a prime example of a player that will sacrifice his own good for the good of the team. Uh, and as a result, you know, what you've seen is Alex Bozo getting rewarded with an NHL contract and now a second NHL contract. So what, you know, what the team is really saying is that if you give yourself to us, we will take care of you. Uh, and that's kind of the case in point of Alex Bozil and to a certain extent, uh, Gustav Olsen as well. And I think we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of guys coming back next year, including potentially guys like uh, Nikita Yevpalovs uh, and, and Joe Cox as two examples of players on on AHL contracts that, you know, could be in the conversation for an NHL contract, but definitely, you know, uh, I'm sure the organization is going to see what it's going to take to bring those guys back. But Bouchard is very careful and and good at not necessarily calling out players by name, but what you can, you get a sense of what he feels like. And, and the independent contractor is one thing, uh, you know, he, he said at one point, um, it's not how many veterans you have; it's how many go- you need good veterans, and all of those those questions came when talking about guys who were the, who were good examples. Guys like Carl Alsner, guys like uh, Yannick Veilleur, guys like Joe Cox, and those are the guys that thrive under Joel Bouchard, even when he was coaching in the QMJHL. You know, look at the top players he had there. Yes, he had guys like Pierre Luc Dubois. He had guys like Drake Batherson, uh, you know, as kind of trade deadline pieces. But the cores of those teams, Alex Barry-Boulet, undrafted. Alexandre Alain, undrafted. Joel Teasdale, undrafted. That that was the the, the top line for, for him uh, in the last couple of years that he was uh, coaching in, in Boisbriand. And, you know, look at those guys now. And Alain is, is having success at the AHL level and, and you know, has – an outside shot at, at becoming an NHL player. Alex Barry-Boulet has had two very good seasons in the AHL. Uh, Teasdale, obviously, uh, injuries took away this season from him, but he's a guy to look for next year as, as or, you know, who knows when the season gets back underway, we, we were kind of in certain terms, but this layoff will help him a little bit because he was on the verge of, of practicing with the team. He was skating by himself. So well, all those things in there, but... You know, those are the guys that, that play well in there. You know, there's a lot of people who don't watch the Laval Rocket who wonder why they give players who are not prospects key playing time. Guys like Kevin Lynch and guys like uh, even Olofsson to a certain extent, uh, Alsner, Ouellette, uh guys like that. Uh, Evan McEnany as well uh, when he was not hurt. And the, the reason is, is because at the AHL level, these guys are key to, to winning. I mean, we kind of saw it with Toronto a couple of years ago when they were super young. Everybody was like, why isn't this team winning? And they were struggling because they didn't really have any guys to lead the way. Everybody was new and everybody was very talented, but they didn't have the the know-how of playing in the NHL. And they needed that. And when they got that, they started 
I mean, you can argue about their success as much as you want, but they they pulled it together much more once they had veteran presence to kind of steady everything up a bit. Yeah, and one thing seems evident to me is that the, the day of the top AHL free agents coming to Laval is is over. I mean, certainly getting Veroni was a huge get for Laval because he was a former league MVP, but the results speak for themselves, is that those players that are potentially AHL mercenaries no longer have a place and won't have a place in Laval any longer. Uh, now I think we're going to see more of the emergence of the Yannick Veilleuse and those kind of guys that are heart and soul players that are not necessarily at a, at a high talent level, but are more than capable of providing the heart, the grit, and the example going forward. Yeah, and if you look at Laval and, and the players that are coming in, guys like Jesse Ullinen, who is likely going to be there next year, he obviously didn't get a chance to play before the season was suspended. You know, guys like, you know, if Cole Caulfield comes in after a second year at Wisconsin, Cam Hillis or Alan McShane, if they get signed to deals, those are guys that are going to be playing in the AHL. So they guys like Jesperi Kudkiniemi, and obviously I don't think he'll start next season in Laval, but it's a possibility. Ryan Paling, the top line guys are going to be prospects for the most part, the offensive skill guys, but you need guys to fill that in. And, and that's what those guys do. And, you know, imagine, you know, we're going to talk about our favorite Canadians games, um, or, or at least the most memorable ones that come to mind. And, you know, those are littered with guys like, you know, Dale Weiss or Jeff Halpern or uh, Dominic Moore. And, and imagine NHL teams without those guys. The same thing applies to the AHL. Not everyone's a superstar. Not everyone's a prospect. You need those guys to fill in the bottom of your roster. And, with injuries, the, those those bottom of the roster guys get called up to the top of your roster pretty quickly, uh, as as we saw sometimes in Laval as well. And the team didn't really struggle without them. So you know, it, it's it's one of those things where yeah, it's it, you need the right guy to play under Joel Bouchard. I think that much is evident, uh, and I, I think that this is a learning experience, and that's why you hold on to guys like Belzil and Cox and and Yefpolovs and and guys who have been around for a couple of years. I would be very surprised if Kevin Lynch didn't come back next year as well. Yannick Veilleur, he he might want to go to Europe still, but you know he's a guy that also quickly became uh, a great player for for the Rocket and and surpassed his entire season production with Sylvain Lefebvre when he was with the Rocket in the first year uh, of the team as well. So it's something to look forward to over the summer. And yeah, it used to be a day where July first Montreal would sign a bunch of AHL guys and sometimes top AHL guys. Uh, but I think that the organization is going to think twice and make sure that they know what they're getting when they sign uh, some guys for for the Rock, specifically for for Joel Bouchard. But uh, like I like I alluded to, um, we will go around and, and talk about our favorite Canadians games. Obviously, this is a lot a, a time where with no new hockey, you can go back and and watch old games. And I know TSN Radio in Montreal has been broadcasting. Uh, three classic games a week. RDS has been doing so. Uh, TVA as well. Some break, breaking news. If I can just break some breaking news here. The draft has been postponed and that the NHL will announce a new date uh, at a future time. It may make sense. If, if, they wonder, if they want to restart the season, then having the draft in June doesn't make right. any sense because exactly. your final rankings have not been finalized. No, it definitely makes sense, especially since we have no idea yeah. how long this is going to last. Yeah, I, I think that there's, there's going to be hockey... Probably in the summer at some point, whether it's because it restarts and it goes into the summer or it restarts earlier. 
Uh, but yeah, it made no sense to to have the draft, you know, in June when, you know, there could be hockey or, you know, for sure the playoffs would still be going on. And if the playoffs are still going on, you don't have a draft order. So that that's pretty much, I mean, there's only what a two week window between the end of the Stanley Cup playoffs and the draft at the best of times. So any delay would, would definitely uh, cause the draft to be postponed. So that that's not a surprise at all, but yeah, it's definitely worth worth mentioning. So so thanks for that, and yeah, I saw to see it coming along as well. I I don't really have anything um, concrete, but just when I when I'm going to ask the, the three people with me, when you think of a your favorite Canadians game, which game do you think of? And uh, Namiko, we'll start with you. Well, it's going to surprise absolutely no one. But here's the problem: I'm not sure if it's really the only way it's only because it's the only one that i really remember or if it really was the most fun because it certainly wasn't fun at the time until the end um i am of course referring to the ides of march game the ottawa senators were in town and they were winning for nothing or for for one i think with like 10 minutes left and nobody thought they would win and of course they ended up winning um <laughs> or they tied it up by the skin of their teeth and then won in overtime um and yeah like i said it's it's definitely the the game that i remember the most uh but like i said i'm not sure i would consider it like <laughs> the best game i've no, ever seen no and, and it's not usually games like that are not the best games you've ever seen it's just things happen crazily and that that game i just wrote about it um uh, i just wrote about it in the top march moments and the great thing about that game is the the fact that it happened so quickly that everyone was just kind of shocked. There was no hope, and then suddenly it was a tie game. Yeah, it was three and a half minutes. They go from 4-1 to 4-4, and uh, they needed every tenth of a second. And I think there's still people calling for P.K. Subban to shoot the puck to this day. If you listen closely... <laughs> You can still hear people. Yeah, if you listen real closely, you, <laughs> you can, can still, still hear, hear people <laughs> yelling for PK Subban to shoot that puck before passing it to uh, David Deharnay. Yeah, uh, and I'll never forget just how how quickly the Senators lost their cool. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they were doing they were doing fine, and then they just <laughs> melted down. Yeah, there's there are a bunch of people, and and it's it's kind of weird looking back at it. And I would just watch that game back and. The, the two people who are most vocal about it were Robin Leonard and Bobby Ryan, two players who now we know we're dealing with a lot of things uh, off ice. And it's kind of weird because those were the two kind of guys who were most agitated. And and it is kind of eerie looking back at it, knowing now with the the issues that they are dealing with and, you know, both coming back to to the NHL and, and playing well is is great testament to uh, to them, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it was kind of creepy. That that part for me was like, ooh. At the time, I remember laughing and being like, oh, look at them freaking out. But now it's just kind of like, ooh, you can't really laugh at it anymore. Uh, and I think that that's a lesson uh, no. for for everyone. You you don't know what they're dealing with, right? And, and I think that's a lesson to no, you never you never know. And no. that's a lesson to take into regular life as well, right? You never know what's, especially now, given given what's going on uh, in the world, it, it is a good lesson to kind of treat everybody um, with with some kind of compassion as well. So obviously, I remember it most because my favorite player, <laughs> Lars Eller, scored the nothing goal that made it 4-2. But 
but it ended up being the goal that uh that that changed the whole game. I mean, even though he it was such a nothing throwaway useless goal at the time that he broke like a twenty something game scoring <laughs> drought and he didn't even have the enthusiasm to cheer about it. Like he wasn't even really smiling. It was such a throwaway goal. He literally just sort of half heartedly lifted the stick and then like went off like, oh, you know, no big deal. And then the reaction, like there's a shot of the of the bench because he was on the bench when the goal, when the tying goal went in with like three seconds left. And oh, he got all his celebrating in then. Yeah, it, there's so many moments in that game that are just are fun to look back on. And it, it's it's a- or like Brandon Prust had been thrown out of the game <laughs> yes. and he had like he had gotten undressed because they figured, <laughs> oh, the game's going to end. He's not coming back. And then they realized, oh, shoot, he's he's going to have to come back. Quick, put your gear on. So he was in the tunnel, like, waiting to go to the box <laughs> when the tying goal happened. So there's that funny shot of yeah. him in the tunnel just, like, freaking <laughs> yeah, out because he got a he five minute there. fighting penalty um, with less than five minutes to go yeah, yeah. when it was 4-1. And there are some people who will say that that sparked the Canadians to victory. It didn't. It didn't. On, on that note, Scott, when I, when I tell you to think about your most memorable game what, what what comes to mind oh it's there's so many because uh namico the ides of march game was going to be one of mine too but uh i think i have to go also to 2014 <laughs> uh game three of the eastern conference semifinals where yes. it was lars eller to pk suban out of the box and he just de- he dekes out tuka rask and the bell center explodes yeah that entire seven game series against the bruins was some of the most fun I've had, stressful fun I've ever had watching hockey. And I got to throw an honorable mention to uh, Lars Eller ruins Matt Sundin night, uh, where the Canadians just, it, they were honoring Matt Sundin in Toronto, and Montreal just came out and buried them in front of Sundin and everyone else with like a 5-1 score, and just Toronto got was, embarrassed and like booed good. off the ice and everything. It was... It's one of those games that always brings a smile to my face because it's like, oh, the game's kind of there. And then Lars Eller just kind of turns Dion Phaneuf into a pylon and roofs a goal. And, and that was that. That was the end of uh, their night as a competitive team. Wasn't it that wasn't it that Boston series, too, where they scored like the they were in Boston for like the opening of the series? I think it was Boston. It might have been might have been Tampa. But they they were like, oh, yeah, they were the underdogs and they came in and they scored like six seconds into the game seven uh briere scored i think on the first shift of the game yeah he scored like 20 seconds in off of a dale weiss pass <laughs> like like scott said that whole playoff run was was crazy that whole series that's probably the, the best series the canadians have had in recent memory uh, and you can talk about the the capitals the penguins in 2010 so mm-hmm. many moments so many yeah, moments sure. in that series you have you had luchas wheats you had you had Subban on the breakaway. You had Subban telling them that he wants the the crowd in Boston to be silent. Uh, you had Thomas Vanek with a two uh, was two goal game, or was it a hat trick? I don't remember. But there are so many so many good moments in that series. And yeah, that game seven. First of all, for for that Scott game, I remember exactly where I was. I was in my kitchen watching it with my sister and my wife, uh, and we uh, we were having dinner, and I remember. As soon as Eller broke the zone, I'm like, breakaway goal. And they, I, I, I really impressed my wife and my sister because they're like, how do you know it was going to happen? And I'm like, you just, I, I, you just felt it. Wasn't, wasn't that the year also that 
Pasternak and somebody else said they had figured out Price, and you just had to shoot at his glove hand, and Price robbed That was Tori Krug who said they figured out Carrie Price, and yeah. then Carrie Price just kind of went, nah, yeah, yeah. for the rest of the uh-huh. series. And then that game seven, I was actually at the Bell Center because it was an away game. It was in Boston, but they sold tickets for the uh, for, for game seven. And, they're, you know... Before a game seven against Boston, it's always tense, right? There's always tension, always like nerves. And then Briere scores so quickly into the game, you're like, oh, all right. This is how it's going to be. And, and if I'm not, I, I could be mixing up my years, but didn't Eller score an early goal in that series as well? I feel like he did from like behind the net or something. Yeah, yeah because there's a, I vividly remember him, there's a picture of Tukarask sprawled yeah. out on the ice. And Eller's just kind of back. I think it was the first game that of would the make series. sense because it wasn't. Everybody Boston. was like, "Oh, Boston!" And yeah. the Habs came in. And Andrew, what about you? I have a feeling that this one's going to be um, off the board. I don't think any one of us is going to be able to guess this one. But Andrew, go ahead. We're gonna we're we're about to be thoroughly <laughs> out nerded. <laughs> is what's about to well, happen. Well, I don't want to say out nerded. Like I'm going to show my old man cane right now, and uh, I always go back to the game that sucked me into the Habs in the first place. And that's the 1986 playoffs. For me, that's when I was at my most impressionable and my, uh, I was what, I was uh, nine years old during the, that playoff run. And I remember that uh, that game seven against the Hartford Whalers, where Claude Lemieux scores that backhand goal on Mike Butte and the Bell Center just explodes. Um, for me, that was the goal that kind of marked me. That was the goal that um, sucked me into hockey where I understood the, the ups and the downs, like how low the lows can be, but how high the highs can be as well. Um, and that was kind of what sucked me in. And what finally did me in was uh, Brian Scrudland's overtime goal in the finals against the Calgary Flames. Eight seconds in, I remember exactly, exactly where I was, what I was doing. Uh, it was one of those moments for me, like, you know, where were you when? Uh, for me, that goal is definitely on the top of the list. So between those two events, and I would say the game seven against Hartford is my most memorable game because that was a tough series, the toughest series, I think, for Montreal during the 86 playoffs. And, uh, you know, and they won that game, they won that series, and they didn't, ended up winning the Stanley Cup. So for me, uh, that's my answer. Yeah. I, I, I don't rem- I didn't, I was, you know, less than a year old when that, that playoff run happened. So I don't remember anything from that but those overtime goals are are memorable for i think a- any canadians fan when especially when you you know you can look back at you know the, the 70s and and the 60s and you know big goals and obviously the the too many men game against boston but but i feel like for the the uh generation of uh, of that time it, it was the the hartford series it was the calgary series and and really, uh, a first Stanley Cup for a lot of fans. Um, obviously, it was seven years since the last one, but uh, like you said, a lot of kids at an impressionable age, and you know, even going into the '90s, that was the the moment. Up until '92, uh, '93, that was the moment that most most fans uh, my age and uh, a little older than, than I am, I'm, I'm 34, uh, were were really. Um, glued to hockey for and obviously Patrick was coming out party right that's that's what everyone looked at as well from that playoff run for for me there, there's a lot of games that are really really memorable more, more, not, not so much games as much as goals you know so many huge goals throughout recent history especially 
I'm going to go a little bit off the board here because I'm going to pick a loss. And I know that that's weird, but I did say most memorable. So um, I, I'm going to go with a loss. And the I'm going to go with the game seven in 2011 against Boston. And the reason for that is because that was at the height of Montreal-Boston hatred. The patch ready hit happened about a month earlier uh, with no suspension for Zidane Chara. And the the goal, if you ask me to pick a goal right now on the spot that I remember more than any other goal, I would have to say it's P.K. Subban's tying goal in the final minutes of that game seven to send it to overtime. And I remember to kind of pull it full circle when Subban scored that breakaway goal in game three against Boston in 2014, my first reaction other than, Hey, cool goal was, I hope they win this series. So people remember that goal positively because 2011 Subban scored a game seven time goal in the final minute to send the game to overtime. But because Montreal lost, no one remembers that goal. And uh, to to extend it even more into a typical Jared memory, uh, I feel the same way about Melody Daou's shootout goal in 2018 at the women's hockey gold medal game. She did the Forsberg in that shootout, but because Canada lost, no one remembers it. Um, so it, it kind of uh, th- that's the one game is that game seven. Uh, that whole that that series was also very good, but obviously didn't end as well for Montreal, but. It's funny because when you look at 2010 and 2011, Montreal was eliminated both times by the Eastern Conference champion. In 2010 by the Flyers, in 2011 by the Bruins. And I don't think those two teams in particular get as much respect as they deserve for, for how how good they were. And you know you come away with it with a third round exit and a first round exit. You're like, oh, that's you know, not you know typical you know recent memories of the Canadians. But I think those teams were better than just um, how they ended up losing, uh, but that's that's a discussion for another day. But yeah, th- that's that's the one game I would say is most memorable. Obviously, not counting the ones that were already mentioned because um, I don't want to double up on on things like that. But if you talk about memorable games, uh, the Desjardins hat trick in '93. <laughs> Whenever I think of most memorable calls, uh, Bob Cole saying Desjardins will forever be in my memory. As much as I can think about, you know, every sport that I I follow and have watched, uh, that that goal call is probably the most memorable for this generation of Canadians fans. Um, and, and I watched a clip of that goal the other day, and it wasn't the CBC call. I think it was Gary Thorne for for ESPN or whatever channel in the States was showing the game. And I'm like, where's the call? And it was very, 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 very confusing for me because I had never heard that call that wasn't Bob Cole. So, uh, yeah, anyway, that that's a little roundabout story. Uh, but yeah, my, my memorable moment is a loss. And maybe that's fitting for this era of the Montreal Canadiens. Um, that my most memorable game is a loss. But <laughs> um, no, there's a lot of great moments. And what this has really done in, is is remembering the little good moments. And and I know that I'm, you know, contradicting myself because 
I just mentioned the loss that I remember. But, you know, watch that 2010 playoff run and Mike Camilleri and even Scott Gomez, who was really good for that time. Uh, you know, watching P.K. Subban in his prime, and no, I'm not debating the trade or anything like that, but there was just a feeling when he had the puck in the playoffs in the Bell Center that that you can feel. And uh, I don't know if he'll ever get to that that point again. In his prime, at his peak, there was nothing like him in Montreal. No, he felt invincible. You got him to the playoffs yeah. and he felt invincible. I, I feel like if you don't understand why Montreal fans took it so hard. It's because, and even maybe still take it hard, it's because every positive moment of the last 10 years of the Montreal Canadiens probably had P.K. Subban in it. You know, he, he, has, he made his debut in the 2010 playoffs. He was involved somewhere. So that whole run was had P.K. Subban in it. Uh, you talk about 2011, you talk about 2014. Subban was there. And I think that, you know, looking back at those old games makes you realize what a big part of the franchise he was and why it was more than just um, a hockey trade. Um, but I'm not getting into that. I love Shea Weber. Shea Weber's a great player. He's a great captain. Uh, but but the memories that Subban brought to the, to, I'd say, 20 to 40-year-olds is is what drives the emotions. Uh, around that and that's that again that's another discussion for another day but uh we'll, we'll leave it at that i think for now thank you scott thank you andrew thank you namico for for joining me uh thank you for listening uh hopefully this helps you uh get through the the current times that we're in a little bit more uh we have a lot of old podcasts if you want to listen to those as well if you want to catch up uh, i'm sure you're not we're not the only podcast you're listening to uh when you're in your house or wherever you are So thank you for listening, and uh, we'll uh, see you next time on Have Some Minded.